Welcome back to Broken Potholes. I am your host, Sam Stone. In the studio with me today, my co-host, Chuck Warren. We got a great show on tap for you. We are going to have Ken Blackwell, uh, Senior Fellow for the uh, uh, for Human Rights and Constitutional Government Governance at the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Human Rights Commission, African-American Mayor of Cincinnati, former Secretary of State Ohio during the 2004 elections when there were questions about Ohio. And in addition, he was um, one of the co-chairs of the domestic transition for Donald Trump in 2016. And you said something potentially about the Cincinnati Reds, and I think we're going to have to ask him about that. Yes, we'll have to ask him about his little parlay into Major League Baseball and what his feelings are about it as well. Good time for that. With that, let's bring on Ken Blackwell. Ken, are you there? Yes, good to be with you guys. Good to hear you, Ken. This is Chuck. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah. Ken, you had, uh, thank you for being here. You have an, an amazing article that I read in Town Hall a, a few days ago, the Counterfeit Equality Act, the Left's Assault on Religious Liberty. And I, I wanted to open up a little bit and talk about that because I think the left is really good at putting out things that sound wonderful but have some some really nasty consequences in the end. And this new Equality Act that they're putting out is is really pretty dangerous, isn't it? Uh, it, it? It really is dangerous, but it's consistent with the the, the narrative that they have been advancing since uh, the advent of the New York Times 1619 Project, which basically says that America is fundamentally and fatally flawed and must be uh, torn down destroyed and built all over again uh, and and as a consequence uh, anything that uh, fits the, the the model of what we call the 1776 model where in fact uh, uh, we put a harness on the reach and power of government uh, in recognition that that optimized uh, individual liberty uh, must be must be changed and so whether that is gender definitions, you know, whether it's the institution of marriage, all of these things have to be either reworked or, or destroyed. Uh, and so uh, this Equality Act uh, is, is a 14-carat is a fraud. Uh, it, 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 it really uh, flies in the face of the left's professed belief in science. <laughs> 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 it's, just, it's just crazy. I, I mean, it seems like, especially this year, their belief in science coincides entirely with their belief in partisan policy and nothing else. <laughs> I, 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 absolutely. Look, I, I've been doing for well over a decade now a lot of work at the Family Research Council, and I tend to believe that the family uh, is the incubator of, 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 of liberty. Uh, and and if you follow as we, you know, close out uh, this year's celebration of the contribution of Black Americans to American history, uh, you start to look at the family unit and look at it as the incubator of liberty. You begin to understand something that is that is terribly clear. Uh, and that is that if you go to the black family 
in the 50s, the 40s, uh, coming out of the uh, black codes uh, post uh, the institution of slavery, one of the things that you see that one of the the the, 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 the institutions that held us together, uh, pushed us through oppression and depression and <laughs> recession and regression was was the black family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with the advent of the Great Society program, when we started to incentivize the breakdown of the family, uh, we, we, we made it where if, in fact, a father stayed with his family, whether he was employed or of low income, uh, that family was, was denied relief. Uh, and we, we, we saw we saw a transformation of of the the relief programs that were established in the thirties during the depression to the Great Society program and what we saw was the beginning of the the destruction of the family uh and we saw an escalation of out of wedlock births, we saw fam- fathers out of the home, uh therefore the the whole role modeling that's uh, that the social scientists tell you that it's important uh, to to optimize good behavior and independence and accountability, it started to vanish, uh, and and so now what what we have are are neighborhoods where the streets raise children, uh, and we see an escalation of, of of violence and destruction, and folks who are talking about safe neighborhoods uh, are all of a sudden. Uh, branded as apologists for 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 police departments and 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 police forces. So it's it's crazy. It's it, it's though guys, we've gone through Alice in Wonderland's looking glass, and uh, what is up is down, and what is down is up. It is just it is just crazy. How do we? This is Chuck. How do we reverse it, or is it possible to even reverse what we're seeing? Um, because you're right, the family has disappeared. Um, in many areas, it's just not the black community, but it's exacerbated there. If, if you're poor and under a government program, most people don't realize those programs disincentivize fatherhood. They disincentivize families, and they incentivize single mothers. Absolutely. So, how do we reverse it? Well, well, well one of the things that that we we do is is that we we, we push back, and and the last four years, the last five years been a good example of how you can reverse it. Even though, you know, the, the left uh, criticized and castigated Donald Trump as, as being anti-black, one of the things that he understood, uh, and I think he might have agreed with Jesse Jackson on this, that capitalism without capital is just another ism. Uh, and so if, in fact, you're going to restore the flow of capital back to black communities, neighborhoods, and in our inner cities, our urban areas, you have to create an environment that is inviting. And as you guys know, capital is a coward. It, it flees violence. It right. flees destruction. Uh, and so one of the things that, that Donald Trump did was he said, look, those mothers... Those children, those hardworking men in those urban communities deserve safety. Uh, and so he started to talk about restoring 
unsafe environment. He he focused in on on choice. Now, too many of our public schools are nothing more than dysfunctional systems and 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 reservations for mm-hmm. for inadequacy. And and so he began to talk about choice and 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 and, and empowering parents, uh, quality education, safe neighborhoods, uh, and he appreciated the dignity of work. And as a consequence, you know, he in fact got numbers uh, that were greater than any Republican uh, since, you know, the, the, the 60s. His African American community. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things here in Phoenix that I know has had a tremendous impact is his Opportunity Zone program. Right. And and all across the country, we have seen that has really been something that's led to a lot of investment in Black and minority communities, and a lot of new strength. But you hit on something: capital is cowardice. And one of the, I think one of the great tragedies of our past is if you look at that period from the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, a lot of white communities basically left black communities on their own when it came to law enforcement. And then we did it again in the 80s in response to the race riots of the late 70s, and we're doing it again. And these events have held back minority communities across our country, and at least in my mind, as much as anything else. Yeah, and but, but- you, you sort of touched on something that's that is not as obvious as I, I I might have thought it was. These sort of behaviors, these sort of nonchalant attitudes, bleed outside of urban areas, bleed outside of Hispanic and and Black communities, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you have suburban moms uh, and and dads being faced with this notion of defunding police departments. You know, you have folks who who live in who live in suburbs but work in downtown areas all of a sudden starting to see their their businesses, their workplaces being defined as opportunity zones for criminals and anarchists. Uh, and as a consequence, uh, you, you you know, you you guys are right. This 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 bleeds outside of the, the narrow targets of minority communities and starts to, to erode the foundations of what has made us a distinct and exceptional constitutional republic in the last 244, 45, 245 years. Ken, you're, you're very well-versed on history, and I just can't point to anything anywhere in history, any country, anywhere on this planet, where the erosion of law and order has benefited anybody <laughs> right it, 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 it is it, look uh yeah i as i've crisscrossed uh not only uh my state of ohio but 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 the country and as i've i've, I've worked through different eras uh of the, the the civil rights movement the urban revitalization efforts uh one of the things that i am always uh, noted that I've always noted, and that is that Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, hit upon something, and he said, "Those who are whooped easiest are whooped most often." And so it, it, it comes a point when we have to realize that it's time for us 
take a stand, uh, to, to, to draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough and we're not going to take it, uh, take it anymore. And we have to stop behaving as if we are 90-pound weaklings. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 told, I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, if I hear one more Republican, you know, talk as if we are the minority party in the United States, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to pull my hair out. Because <laughs> the, 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 the fact of the matter is that we control more state legislative Right. That, that is a more. great point, Ken. I, I'm sorry to cut you off. We're going to go to break. We're going to bring you on when we come right back and want to talk more about that. It's the new year and time for a new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your host, Sam Stone, Chuck Warren, on the line, Ken Blackwell. Chuck, you had a great point in the break, and I want to further on that. Ken, I want to continue further on your comment. The 2020 election, besides the defeat of Donald Trump, which was quite depressing for many conservatives, Republicans, in reality, it was a pretty good election. We were told over and over that this was going to be a humongous blue wave. It was no such thing. And we control a number of states, a number of legislatures. Um, again, this election sort of proved to me this nation sort of a center-right in, in many ways. Uh, what are your take on that? Yeah, you're, you're, exactly, you're exactly right. Uh, this is now a very competitive two-party uh, country. And at the state and local level, uh, particularly in our counties, you know, uh, the Republicans are fighting hard and and and, and winning. Uh, you're right. We we everybody told us that Nancy Pelosi was going to pick up, you know, fifteen twenty seats. Uh, she 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 lost uh, what eleven I believe 15, yeah. 11, 11, 11 seats. You know, uh, we were told we were going to get wiped out uh, of the Senate. That 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 didn't happen. Uh, as I was saying before the break, we we won. We have we hold more governorships. We hold more state legislative chambers, uh, and so we have to stop acting as if we are ninety pound, the equivalent of a political ninety pound weekly. What we have to do is 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 to is to fight back and to understand the the ring that we're fighting in. And the Democrats are pretty smart. They understand that if they can regularize and centralize what the, the policies and the practices that work well for them in 2020 under the, the cover of COVID-19 uh, precautions, they, in fact, can, and they centralize this and federalize it, they can become the dominant federal party, uh, and, and as a consequence of the 
tight economic strains that state governments are faced with, uh, they anticipate that more state governments will see their constitutional power. Uh, and, and as a consequence, they see this as an opportunity to fundamentally transform the, the, the nation into a one-party nation, which is pretty commonplace in totalitarian, authoritarian, uh, and, uh, you know, big one-party states. Uh, yep. Uh, Fascist. Can right. we use that word? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. We can. Yeah. Ken, what's, um, what do you see the future of the NRA? They're an organization that's uh, protected Second Amendment and, rights. And Ken, you were on the, the board of the NRA, is that right? Where do you see the direction of the NRA going, and why on earth were they incorporated in the state of New York for so many years? Well, you know, again, that that's where they started. Uh, that that history it really does predate me. Uh, we we now see just what a hostile environment uh, that is. Uh, we're now incorporated in Texas, uh, and look, we uh, the, the NRA. Is, is one of the organizations that understand that what has made us different than any other nation before us in, in human history, and none at, at, at present, is that it could be found in that second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, where we talk about self-evident truth, mm-hmm. that we're endowed by our Creator with rights, not government. So there is not a government on the face of the earth that can give you your fundamental human rights. Governments can only protect it. Or uh, take and them. If you, if you believe that, uh, as our as the framers of our Constitution did and, and, and generations of Americans, then you don't see any of those rights uh, to, to, to government. Uh, and right now, we are we are in a system, uh, not we're not in a system, but we are up against a foe, uh, a, a a a political force that wants to move us to a status model. Where and and one of the ways that they do that is they drive God and faith out of the public square. If it's going to be practiced, they say practice it within the four corners of the church. Uh, and they and they try to destroy the family, and then, then uh, they then they lock you out of the church because that's, that's right. <laughs> you know, so you know, going you going back, I, I think that you're 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 seeing the NRA is, is is adjusting. But what 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 gives me great faith is that just as the the organized church is not going to cower, and neither is the NRA because they understand, uh, we understand that there's not a government on the face of the earth. Uh, that they can give us our fundamental human rights, and one of the more basic human rights is the right to If you, this is Chuck, if you were the chair of the RNC, what are the three things you would focus on the next two years or the 2022 cycle that you feel would make a real concrete difference in electoral success and non-success? Well, the, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to mobilize Across the country to defeat HR1, which is Pelosi and, and Schumer's uh, uh, legislation that will fundamentally transform our, our country, destroy various voter verification processes and practice, 
uh, weaken the chain of custody of ballots uh, and, and and federalize our election process, which is now invested in the state. If 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 we don't stop that, the hill gets very 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 steep, uh, and so it looks as if it's going to that is going to have to be stopped because they have the votes in in the uh, in the in, in the, the house. house because every house member has voted for it. We're going to have to stop it uh, in the the, the, the Senate, um, and and so that's the first order of business: mobilizing, and that's that's not next year. That's Next month, that's in March. <laughs> they're they're going to press that very, 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 very hard. They're they're uh, pressing ahead fast with some really radical fundamental changes to this sure, country. Absolutely. So that's that's one. The other thing is to, is to take inventory of our strength. Uh, and, and one, we protect state legislatures in in terms of elections, but we we understand that states are the laboratories for experimentation and, and policy development. Uh, and we, in fact, make sure that the 2020 census, which and, and now our control with state legislatures, we have map drawing uh, authority, uh, and we 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 best make sure uh, that we don't turn over the pins uh, to, mm-hmm. to to Nancy and. and I, so, I think that's a great point, Ken, because you look back at the last redrawing of the census here in Arizona, we really are still a red state. You look at all the down-ballot races, uh, Republican governor, AG, House, Senate, and yet Democrats have the majority on the U.S. Congress. They have the majority, I mean, they, you know, obviously they have mm-hmm. the two Senate seats, but the way they drew those lines, we would have another few seats at every level if we hadn't seated that fight last time. Right. We can't do it. We, 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 we can't do it. So those, you know, drawing in lines, you know, as a consequence of the 2020 census, uh, stopping H.R. 1 and Senate Bill 1 and actually And we're going to talk sure about we... how to do that, Ken, when we come right back. Broken Potholes, we'll be right back. It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from godaddy.com today. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. On the line, Ken Blackwell. It's been a fantastic interview. We want to get back to the point we were talking about prior to the last break. Redrawing these lines and the fight ahead. Well, yeah, look, guys, Stopping HR one, Senate Bill one, uh, redrawing the lines, uh, and what we have to do. If I and if I was the chair of the RNC, and I think the present chair gets this, we have to make sure that our troops are focused on 2022, not 2024. <laughs> 2022. Or 2020. 
<laughs> or twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. You know, we 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 in fact have to win the the race that's in front of us, uh, and we can't engage in internecine uh, zealous competitions around twenty twenty four before we secure. Uh, we have a we have a real opportunity to take back uh, the house from Pelosi. Uh, we 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 must uh, protect our our position in the Senate if we if we and if we could to get get those numbers back. But well, thank you, Ken. I, I wanted to t- before we end the show here. I wanted to just touch on a, a piece you had in Breitbart that I really enjoyed reading. And thank you. And we're talking about a little bit of history earlier you're talking about sort of the unknown history of black inventors in America. And oh, absolutely. Look, it's, it, it, I, I'm an advocate for a, a lot of inventors who, who go unrecognized and who've had their patents, you know, infringed or stolen. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> uh, but but the, this, that was one way, and, and, and the article's at Breitbart, uh, and, 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 and town hall, and it's several, several places. I, I wanted to say, look, uh, the, the, the genius of America is when it pulls on all of its citizens. You know, great nations are not the products of great governments. <laughs> great nations are the products of good people doing great things together and recognizing one another's contributions and and human dignity is a way that we can go forward. And those were those were some that's an incredible statement and I think really important for people to hear. But also I wanted to ask if you had a favorite story among those those inventor stories, uh, the one that kind of struck you as is the most interesting or amazing. <laughs> and again, the, 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 it, it, it was self serving. My my <laughs> uncle D. Hart Hubbard, uh, who was the first black American to win an Olympic gold medal uh, in track and field in an individual event, he did it in 1924. He set the world record in the in the broad jump. He was supposed to run against Eric Little in the hundred, but when he got there, he was told that the hundred was a white only event, and he didn't run. Oh, he wow. came back to Ohio, started the Cincinnati Tigers in the old Negro Baseball League. Uh, and, and and it was through his creative risk taking that I began to to appreciate risk takers. Uh, and his favorite inventor, you know, uh, was 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 the the was the, the a, a big Booker T. Washington uh, and, uh, and and he, in fact, is, it was risk taking. And the creative genius of the human mind, and that's who he was. My hero, because he, in fact, took the risk. He 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 didn't invent a gadget, uh, but he, in fact, was one of the architects of the old Negro Baseball League, which, in fact, mushroomed into uh, a, a a a a way of getting black talented uh, ball players into the major leagues, into the integration. And, and so, I think the greatest pitcher of all time was Satchel Paige. Absolutely, <laughs> he was. I, I mean, you look at you look at you look at what he did, and especially. No, no, he, no he, he was. And let me just say about such a piece. My uncle, he, he my uncle uh, used to play in that, uh, managing that circle uh, with the Tigers and the Indianapolis Clowns. And Satchel Paige had a saying that that relates to inventors uh, and and our political situation now. Satchel Paige said, "It is real difficult to steal second base if you want to keep one foot on first. 
<laughs> it's <laughs> so, very true. It, it, there has to be a time when you make the break for a second. Well, you, know, the, you have to be willing to take that calculated risk to get well, down Well, there. briefly here, and what you're seeing right now, I think the one huge difference between the parties, and there's many, is you have one side, the left, they want 100% guarantee on everything. So keep your foot on first base, and you'll create a, a, a billionaire, million-dollar company. But... You know, and then there's the other side saying you got to take risks. There's no guarantees in life. That's life. That's liberty. That's agency. And I, that's one big difference that seems that to be is. coming more and more every day now. That we didn't even deal with this ten years ago. You're you're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Uh, and my uncle was always fond of saying that the human condition isn't a spectator sport. Ken, we're wrapping up. Thanks for joining us today. Where can people find you and your writings, my friend? Uh, Townhall.com. Uh, you can go to frc.org and punch uh, my, on my uh, bio and my writing. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Amazing Good to interview. Be with you all. Thank you. Bye bye. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote domain from GoDaddy. Get yours now. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. Fantastic interview with Ken Blackwell. And now we have Mackenzie in the in the studio with us today for our sunshine moment. So Mackenzie, bring us the good news because we've heard a lot of others. Okay, I got some good news for you guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I just want to start out by talking about how badly the restaurant industry has been hit but by COVID-19 and um, all the good things that people have done in order to support these small restaurants and um, companies around that have been hit so badly. So with a lot of restaurants having to shut down and a lot of um, people being laid off, there has in fact been some good. Um, one story that comes to mind that I found is actually two schools in Ohio. So Xavier and University of Cincinnati are currently having a tip-off so it started as a, uh, I think the first one was Xavier tipped $1,000 at a local uh, restaurant and basically said, thanks for everything so you do. So tip off, we're not talking basketball. They're actually going. They're tipping. Real money. Tipping. We're talking money. You know, these these restaurants have been hit and these people are stepping up and supporting their local restaurants of the city that they love in Cincinnati. Um, followed by that, a Cincinnati person did $1,001. And so ever since then, it's continued on, and they've taken it as a school rival- rivalry. Rivalry. Instead of, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so instead of sports or any of anything like that, it's been uh, supporting their local restaurants. And so far, they are $34,000. Mac, let's, you, when you went to college, mm-hmm. um, you also worked in the restaurant industry as a hostess, I believe, right? I did. And how important are those tips for students for example, working in the restaurant industry. It's everything. So as a hostess, you're not directly receiving these tips. So basically, at the end of the night, you get tipped out by what the actual servers and bartenders are making. So you're making just a fraction of that. Um, 
I mean, you got a college kid fighting for a Friday night, Saturday night shift <laughs> just based off tips. And so making three, four dollars an hour is just not going to cut it. You know, your entire uh, cuts getting based off of those tips. And it's, it's a big, big deal. It's a huge thing for some kid working to get through school or, or a mother working to feed her kid at home. I mean, a $1,000 tip in that situation is, is it's rent. It's rent. Well, it's it's changing your your reality that you know, month. The one thing that's happened with COVID that's concerned me, and we talked about this, Sam, off, off air, is there's 11 million people in the United States that work in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. My fear is a third of those jobs are not coming back anytime soon. And so when you've had big things, you know, any big chain, think about, they could go to the markets and raise money and sort of wither this, right? Mm-hmm. But you have a lot of these... Uh, you have a lot of these family-owned restaurants, these independent cafes, which are not only people who work there. This has been their career. But these are also the incubators that help provide and put kids through college, buy homes. And COVID, this is one of the real um, the, the blots of COVID. Well, and, and I think a lot of people, Mackenzie, and, and you probably know this better than, than we do, but I, I think a lot of people don't realize that you can make a very good living as a server at a good restaurant or as the maitre d' oh, yeah. ballet or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, those, those are not bad jobs. These are not minimum wage jobs. These are, these are good livings. They are. One thing I decided uh, based on my charitable giving a couple of years ago is that I decided to start tipping more 25, 30% most times mm-hmm. in restaurants because I want to support people who are out there actually working. It's not an easy job. You're on your feet all the time. You're working weird hours. So it really, for most people, it distinguishes a social life, present company excluded. But <laughs> we, um, you know, it's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. It is a tough gig. And I, I've done the same thing for a number of years. I really like to kind of over tip by standard at those things. Um, you know, look, if, if you're serving me and you get 20%, it means I'm actually unhappy with the service that I just got. Right. Um, because I think, like you, I think it's important to support people who are working. Yes. And, and our government, especially Democrats right now, really don't seem to have much consideration for working people. They want people sitting at home waiting on a check. And yeah. that is a that is a soul-crushing experience. Yes. I still have not figured out what to tip someone at the buffet, though. <laughs> is it really 20%? Uh, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I kind of did, like, how many trips did they make over to refill my glass? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, is it really true? Not that they do buffets anymore. I mean, that's oh. that's been gone and probably will be gone for a while. I, I don't think there's golden. I think Golden Corral went out of business, and they were the largest chain like that in the country. Have they really gone out of business? Yeah. Oh, I love that place. <laughs> I, I know. I, I shouldn't admit to loving it, but. <laughs> they had the buffet because they were based all on buffet. Hey, I like meatloaf and mac and cheese. It is what it is. It's an old person thing, Sam. Sam. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Ken here. Um, I've known Ken for quite a while. Besides all the accolades in his bio, he was also chairman of Saver Secret Ballot, which passed here in um, Arizona, South Dakota, South Carolina, Tennessee, other states, and he was a huge part of it. He's a very, he's a wonderful man. He's a warm man. Um, what he says is what he, how he lives. Um, it, it's it's fascinating. Someone who's in the game as long as he is, what he feels is still important. And I I think the one ray there I saw that's optimistic is he agrees with you and I that 2020 was not as bad as our side likes to wallow in. 
No. It's not reality in a lot of ways. No, and, and I've talked to a lot of people who have come up to me because, as, as you know, Chuck and, and listeners, we're working on a number of projects right now for 2022 here in Arizona and gearing those things up. I run into people every day who talk about, well, this is a blue state. And and, and I'm sorry, no, it, it's not. And if you look at everything underneath Donald Trump, we held all those seats this last election against the strongest headwinds imaginable. I look forward to 2022. I think we have an opportunity to reverse some of their right, past gains. Right. Um, I'll go back to the sunshine moment. Mackenzie, what, um, being in the restaurant industry, they're talking about a $15 minimum wage. And I don't know how it affects the restaurant industry, but I've heard they may just apply it to the restaurant industry, which would obviously change the payment scale in restaurants. How do you feel servers bartenders at the restaurant you worked at or those you know who are in the industry. I know you have a good friend that's a bartender at a restaurant that I still laugh about. <laughs> but um, Cheesecake Factory, folks. <laughs> and she makes great money being a bartender at Cheesecake Factory. I, she doesn't love the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, there's there's lots to take on that, but we'll go that another day. Considering the price of those drinks, I'm not surprised uh, she makes a solid living. So my question is, how how would they reply to that if they said, you know, you're getting $15 an hour, but now we're keeping more of the tip? How, how, would, how, how would these servers, these bartenders, how would they react to that? Because I'm sure, for example, your friend at the Cheesecake or I think your brother was a valet, right? Yep. Uh, they were making more than $15 an hour. Yep, they were. And I think what's going to happen is that these restaurant owners are going to say, no, 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 i got to keep this to cover your cost. I, I think they're going to end up making $15 an hour because I've talked to some of the restaurateurs around here who said, look, we're going to have to do what they do in Europe, which is essentially you get rid of tipping, you raise the prices, and you tell diners it's all included, and, and you pay a, a slightly higher wage. But the difference is you don't have a whole lot of – Restaurant workers in Europe who go out and start up new restaurants? No, you do not. And we do here. And we do here. We do a here. lot. So how, how do you feel your friends who are in the industry, past or present, will respond to that saying, okay, now you can only make max $15 an hour? I mean, I think anyone would say they want to make as much money as possible. So I think that would possibly bring down maybe even the quality of service. Right. Um, if you know, if you've no been incentive. served in France, I think you're right. Sure, exactly. <laughs> there's no incentive to you know make that extra dollar or two. Um, so I would argue that they would prefer um, lower hourly rate wage and higher tipping. But that's just me. Um, I guess it depends on where you work. But um, I right. think that would greatly influence the quality of service for sure. I, I mean, my experience, at least traveling, has been that the service here is very different than you get in most places where it's it's just very brusque and sort of mechanical. Right. I've traveled quite a bit. Mackenzie has as well. And it is. You you know, I, first time I was traveling overseas, I went to tip and I go, you can't do that. Right. You can't. You just can't do that. Don't put me in that position, basically, was their retort. So, um, Sam, what's going on in Phoenix as we get ready to wrap up here? What's interesting and what's going on? Well, Phoenix right now, obviously, we have an election coming up. In fact, the ballots are out right now. The election no one knows about? Yeah, it's a ghost election. I think, in fact, judging by the number of returns, our citizenry has ghosted this election. What's, it, what's the returns at right now? So we have less than 30,000 ballots in, and they've been out for a couple of weeks, which that first week, 10 days after early ballots go out is when most of the votes in Arizona in any election are cast. We have a city of 1.7 million people, and two council districts are up for these contests. Those council districts alone 
account for about 400, 450,000 people, and you have 30,000 votes that have been cast. Not even at 10%. Oh, it's embarrassing. Nobody is paying attention to this, and and it is really impactful. When is the election? March 9th is, is the actual election day, but you can go right now to the early voting centers. You can cast your ballot if you... We do all mail ballots, so you, you've gotten one in the mail if you're a city of Phoenix voter, and you need to turn that thing in. One of the, you know, we have, for instance, a Republican running, uh, Nicole Garcia, running against Deb Stark in District 3. That's kind of north and central Phoenix. Um, obviously, having another Republican on the city council, and that's a pretty reddish area, would change everything. On the other side of it, you have a kind of standard union Democrat in District 7, Cynthia Stella, running against a woman named Yasmin Ansari, who worked, you know, left, uh, lived in Scottsdale, left to go to Stanford, then went to intern for Nancy Pelosi, then went to be a low-level staffer at the UN Office of Climate Action, and then bought a house to run for this race, like the day before she announced she was running, and says our number one issue is environmental racism. I, I got to tell you, Phoenix has problems. I'm not sure if environmental racism is a problem, but if it is, it's probably about number 3,457 on that list. So she's proposing something that doesn't make the city be more functional. No. To do the basic things the city should do, repair roads, you know, safety, things yeah. like that. Yeah, look, your city government... If you're playing these ideological battles that should realistically be playing out in Washington and you're trying to make that what your city's about, you're making a huge mistake because you just hit it, Chuck. It's blocking and tackling. It's the fundamental stuff that we need to do and do really well. And cities that do that thrive and cities that don't die. Let's let's look at let's ask this question here for a minute. If you go and take out what she's proposing. How much of the issues that come up in the city of Phoenix that actually make a difference in people's lives are actually bipartisan issues? Let's, you know, like a road. A road's a bipartisan issue, right? Yeah. It needs to be paved, no potholes. I mean, how much of that is actually non-ideological? It's basically you know, good government administration. You, you know, if you watch a city council uh, agenda, a council session in our city, Phoenix, or anyone else, what you're going to see is that 90% of what happens— is really, really basic stuff that everyone agrees we need to do. We have a consent agenda that takes up about 90% of every of the votes every week where everyone just says I and they pass them, you know, 50 different items at once because we all agree we've worked behind the scenes, built that up. There is consensus. There is very little in a city that doesn't have a bipartisan interest and bipartisan consensus. You have, you know, these anti-police folks, but even with that, even in our uh, heaviest minority districts, 80, 85 percent of people want more police. They want better roads. They want the potholes filled. All this other garbage is a waste of time. Well, that's great, Sam. Mac, do you have anything else to share with us on the Sunshine Moment today? Or are you um, any other tidbits you found out when you're looking around? Um, Nope. But if you did want to follow the Cincinnati tipping war. Please. You can just go to Cincinnati.com, and they're all over it between Xavier and University of Cincinnati. Well, is, Are they having a competition, though? Is there, is there a competition like you see in Utah, for example, BYU University of Utah has a food can drive, right? Every year, the big game. So, I mean, it's like, you know, 
thousands and thousands of pounds of food. Is there some competition like this? And what do they get if they win? Is there anything like that going on? It's just bragging rights and saying you. Social media bragging rights. Uh, how about let's start this up between ASU and U of A. I'm a U of A guy. We're going to get our butts kicked. <laughs> That's okay. It still sounds like a good idea. Broken potholes. You, back Sam. next week.